You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. I do want you to know that I probably will speak a little bit longer than I normally speak, which is scary in itself, in and of itself. I've gotten so used to preaching two services each Sunday that since I'm only preaching one today, I have a little extra fuel in the tank. <laughs> no, I, I also feel very directed of the Lord today. I believe that we're preparing for something in the Spirit, and I feel to preach to those hungry for God that want to do want to see God do unprecedented things in their life, and you want to see God do unprecedented things at the Calvary Church. I'm going to preach for four quarters. I hope you'll stay with me for the whole game. First, I want to say thank you to everyone who participated in our 48 hours of prayer this week. It was truly a life-altering event for many, including myself. There were so many incredible moments, it's hard to encapsulate in words. Every devotion, we had devotion at 6 a.m., 12 p.m., and at 6 p.m. What I am confident of more than ever in my life, if the church will seek the Lord, He will answer and respond. It's as simple as that. As I said at the close of the devotion on Friday evening, I'm not looking to give the Calvary Church a new tradition that says every January we are going to do this type of prayer and fasting. However, I am going to be sensitive to the Lord. And as He calls us to seasons of consecration and prayer and fasting, we will respond. There are things that were set in motion this week because of prayers prayed. And I hope more of you will join us and pray with us as we move under God. I feel like we started a small stream this week. You know, a stream is just droplets of water gathered together. We started a small stream this week, but as more join and connect in prayer and fasting collectively, TCC will be a mighty river in this region. And I want to prophesy to the Calvary Church that God's future for the Calvary Church is to be a mighty river. Years ago, during a revival, I believe it was with Eli Hernandez, I had a vision of a massive wave in this sanctuary. Drops of water must be brought together to create a stream, and then a creek, or a creek if you're from Canton, and then a river. I remind you of the vision of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, verse 3, that Ezekiel was called to measure in his hand. Uh, uh, He was called with a measuring line in his hand, and he measured a thousand cubits and says that he led me through the water. And at first, the water was ankle deep, verse 3. And then again, verse 4, it says he measured again, and the water was knee deep. And then again, it was waist deep. In verse 5, then the water became as such that it was 
a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen from it. It was flowing from the temple and it was a river that could not be passed through. Verse 9, and it says, wherever the river goes, wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. We go collectively today, and we need our collective prayers. We need every prayer. We need every collective prayer. We need every united prayer. Calvary Church, we are not going to be the same after this week. I am not the same person I was last week. Many of you were touched by the power of God in incredible ways. Next Sunday starts revival with evangelist David Bryan. Many of you are familiar with him. Those services will be held on Sunday, 9 a.m. and 11. And then we're just going to have services Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And if you're able to be here, I encourage you to be here. There's going to be a mighty river of God's Spirit flowing in this place. And it's going to start at normal, our normal midweek time is 7.30, but those services are going to start at 7 to give us a little bit extra time. I know it's a school time and, and work and all of that. So we're going to start at 7 each night, Monday through Wednesday. There won't be any service on Sunday evening, just uh, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 7 p.m. The beginning of this year, we felt directed to pursue restoration for our spiritual lives. And that's what we've been preaching about the last five Sundays, four Sundays, this being the fifth. We are believing that God will restore. God will fulfill his promise found in Psalm 51, where it says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. We need God's spirit to be alive in us. We need God's spirit to be active in us. And I believe that God is reigniting our hearts with the light of his spirit. Proverb 2027 says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. His spirit wants to illuminate the most inner part of you. I'm not going to rehearse the idea of body, soul, and spirit, or as Paul put it, spirit, soul, and body. But God holds the spirit of man. That's his. And he wants to reignite it. That's why his spirit comes to live with us so that when his spirit comes in us, it affects our soul which is our mind, emotions, our will, our intellect, and it affects our body. We talked about how spiritual restoration can happen in our lives with four simple practices. Prayer, fasting, reading our Bibles, and giving. Very simple practices that bring restoration into our lives. A few weeks ago, Reverend Diana Reed spoke about the power of prayer. Last or a couple weeks ago, Pastor Kristen challenged and encouraged us to make the discipline of fasting a part of our lives. Last week, I talked about the importance of reading the Bible. 
that it brings life to us, wholeness, and it strengthens us. We eat this and not oatmeal pies. If you haven't heard those messages, I encourage you. I think they'll bless you in your spiritual life. Today, I'm going to conclude our series by talking about how we can be restored through giving. Well, I expected somebody to run the aisles. (laughs) Some of you just said, check, please. This past week, I was meeting with a group of ministers in Columbus area. And during the meeting, Bishop J. Mark Jordan, former pastor in Toledo, Ohio, and former Ohio District UPCI District Superintendent, gave a devotional. In the devotional, he talked about Nassim Nicholas Talib, who coined the term anti-fragile, or as the Italians say, anti-fragile. <laughs> Nassim Talib created this word to supply a word in English that means the opposite of fragile. Because this word is missing from every language and vocabulary in existence. Tlaib reasoned that a fragile object that suffers stress or attack will probably sustain some degree of damage. However, it is possible for the opposite effect to actually happen. But this effect cannot be fully expressed by any known word. The term strong or something strong or robust are inadequate words to describe this effect because a strong or robust object under stress does not get better. Tlaib said it is, this idea is, well, the opposite of fragile. It is anti fragile. The logic is simple. An object attacked that results in an upgrade or an improvement is more than just robust or strong. Anti-fragile objects or ideas or even persons do not worsen under attack or stress. They actually get better. Randomness, chaos, or even any event normally thought to be tragic, actually transforms the anti-fragile into something better than it was before. In fact, rather than fearing or avoiding stress, sometimes it might help us to welcome it. Tlaib documents a myriad of facts from science, politics, economics, culture, and more to validate his theory. For example, he shows that a bad review of a book is actually beneficial to a writer. So much so that some have even paid critics to trash their work. He also illustrates his point by referring to physical exercise, stressors. Anybody hate exercise like me? It's negative. It's horrible. But it's a necessary practice in order to what? Build muscle, strengthen bones. It's use it or lose it. And based on this idea, Bishop Jordan suggested that right away, the spiritual application of this idea became manifest in his mind. 
This is precisely how God has designed the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Under the strongest attack by its worst enemy, the church will demonstrate superior power. Every time Satan assaults the church, it shows the world that it's anti-fragile, that it is always stronger. Case in point is the persecution that began in Acts chapter 4. The fleeing from Jerusalem when they were attacked did not administer a death blow to the church. It only stoked the fires of revival and growth for the church. The church is anti-fragile. In an Old Testament illustration, the response of Joseph to his brothers, many years after they were, he, he was sold into slavery, he captures this essence of anti-fragility when he says in Genesis 50, 20, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The negative birthed the positive. Daniel taught us the way to triumph is through trial. Mordecai taught us the way to honor is humility. Matthew shows us the way to exaltation is through submission. The way to to beauty is through holiness. The way to blessing is through sacrifice. The way to increase is to decrease. The way to fulfill uh, fullness is through deprivation. The way to win is to lose. The way to life is through death. Today, I want to state a truth, a truth we must understand, an anti-fragile truth. Very simply, the way to receive is to give. We can see this reality over and over in Scripture. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will it be put into your lap? For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you again. See, we think selling Uh, good seems to be the logical way to increase our profits. But actually, giving away, giving away, we think, depletes our resources. Yet, the scripture declares that giving opens up the avenue of revenue. Instead of fragile, we should think of our pocketbooks as anti-fragile. They get bigger by making them smaller. Our gifts and abilities get better as we give them away. Our effort and our time, we get more time when we give our time to the things of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, Why would Jesus give this illogical concept that it's more blessed to give than to receive? Because giving is the very nature of God. And so John says, for God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he what? Gave. That simply. He gave. 
And Jesus understood that the real nature of God is love. And because God's nature is love, he gave. Giving is a byproduct of love. And guess what? God's still giving. He's still giving. And he's never run out of love. Oh, hallelujah. And may I suggest to you today that anything God does, we do well to emulate. And when we emulate God, it leads us to a restoration of his image. And I would say today, we are never more like God than we, when we give out of love. Second quarter. So I want to offer you three ways we can give that move us towards being restored. The first is the giving of our treasure. I have spoken in recent months about the importance of giving of our finances. On Sunday, November 29th, 2020, the weekend before our missions weekend, I spoke on leftovers. In that message, I concluded that giving of our finances reveals our faith. Tithing or giving 10% of our income reveals our priority. It puts God first. It's a principle found throughout Scripture. It puts God first. Before I consume anything, before I spend anything, I say, God, you're first in my life. And so I give my tithe. I give 10% on top to say, God, you're first. And in that message, I also talked about having leftovers. In other words, not consuming and not keeping for ourselves everything we could keep. The principle says, I also leave something on the other side of my consumption. While tithing reveals our priority, the leftover offerings reveal my contentment. So on each side of my consumption is the blessing and protection of love. Let me say it again. On each side of my consumption of my material wealth, when I tithe and when I give offerings, it is the blessing and protection of love because it's giving from a heart that pleases God and loves God. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take anything, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall in temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, craving, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. May I remind us that if through the love of money we can wander from faith, I would submit through, that, through the love of giving we can grow and demonstrate faith. Generosity and giving is the way by which we demonstrate our priority and our contentment. Giving of our treasure will lead us to restoration. Let me give you a couple examples through scripture. In the Bible, you'll find giving as a key to the people of God experiencing restoration in their life. When the children of Israel in the Old Testament found themselves escaped from the oppression of Egypt, they get on the other side of the Red Sea 
And God says, I'm restoring you. I'm making you a people. I'm making you somebody. I'm making you a nation. How is he going to do this? He said, I'm going to give you the opportunity to know me. I'm going to give you the opportunity to worship me. I'm going to give you the opportunity to receive promises from me that you can't imagine. And so Exodus chapter 35, verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Verse 5, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. They had just come out of Egypt, and he says, I want you to give a contribution to the Lord. He said, whoever is of a generous heart, give something to the Lord. Let them bring the Lord's contribution gold, silver, and bronze. Let me stop here for a moment. First, we see God's command of giving. However, the contribution was based on generosity. It was a generosity of their heart. Secondly, where did they get the gold, the silver, and the bronze? They had just been slaves in Egypt. They got the gold, silver, and bronze from Egypt. How is the work of God accomplished in the world today? Egypt. God's people working in the secular environments under sometimes oppression and stress. Use that money that comes through carnal businesses and secular environments and says, hey, I can take that and use that for the glory of God. We had someone... Just in the last couple months in our church, donate a a significant amount of money through stock. But guess what? Their very liberal and secular company matched it. That's how it happens. We bring what is from Egypt and we use it to supply the needs of God's purpose in the world. So God told them, take from among you, verse 5, take from among you a contribution to the Lord who is ever of a generous heart. Let him bring the gold, silver, bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and goat hair, and ram skins, and goat skins, and wood, and oil, and spices, verse 9, and stones, and stones on the setting for the ephod. They, they just started bringing things. Bringing things that they had. Bringing things that were in their possession from their heart. Here's what we realize, that they were preparing for the tabernacle of God. They were preparing for the dwelling place of God. And giving preceded the restoration of Israel. People had to give to make the purpose of God possible, not just in Israel, but in their own life. It was an anti-fragile kind of thing. They gave. They emptied, but man, did they get way more in return. And so we continue, verse 35, then all the congregation, they departed, verse 20, I mean, verse 21, they came, everyone whose heart stirred them and everyone whose spirit moved him, they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, for all its service, for the holy garments. They brought, verse 22, they came... Both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought the brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, uh, all kinds of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord that they had taken from Egypt. 
And everyone that had possession, they brought it. Verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. From their heart stirred, their spirit was moved. The free will offering, nothing aligns you more with the will of God than giving from your free will. Because that's what God did. That's what God did. Nobody was looking over God saying, if you don't give now. Who was going to say anything to God? But out of his free will, he gave. He didn't have to. He loved us, though. And that love produced giving. So much so that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Consider the early church, and I move quickly, the church that we're most connected to by teaching and experience, the church that, like us, had experienced the power of his spirit with supernatural expression. Peter we know stood on that day of Pentecost and he proclaimed that message of repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. We heard that message on Friday evening's devotion, save yourself. Acts 2.41, so those who received the word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. And what did they do? They, what happened next? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayers. And there was awe in signs and wonders. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In Acts chapter 4, it tells us this in a little greater detail about what their generosity looked like. Verse 32 of chapter 4, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said of anything that, they, that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' Feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This was what the early church did. And it preceded the restoration of God's kingdom. It's what brought the kingdom of God into the world that you and I are now recipients of. People who said, I'm willing to give. Giving demonstrates our priority and contentment. Consuming. Everything that we make demonstrates our lack of faith in God. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
And he told them a parable saying the land, or the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I am submitting to the Calvary Church again today that our commitment to giving tithes and offering is as as vital as it's ever been. Our willingness and our intentionality to not consume and keep everything we make is a pathway to spiritual life restoration. And it brings growth into your life. We have the opportunity to propel the hope of Jesus Christ through tithe, through missions, through the Promise Project, which is an offering dedicated to the improvements of our facilities and the growth of our facilities. But giving of our treasure aligns us with God's word and God's priority. Giving leads us to restoration of trust and faith in God. Because God's nature is to give, God is love. And to love is to give. If you love someone, you can't help but give. Nothing brings me greater joy than to give, especially to my family and my girls. Jesus was right when he, when he said, it's found in Acts 20, 35. Paul said that he said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's an anti-fragile concept. I want Kyle Wheeler to come at this time, he's going to share his experience from our recent missions weekend. Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord. Um, as you all know, last month in the month of December, um, Pastor Ellis uh, kind of challenged us and charged us to, um, to a one-time harvest giving offering. Um, and so I took that to heart. Um, Amanda and I both did. I we were here during the 9 a.m. service, and uh, during that time, um, I was praying and asking the Lord, what should I give? You know, I felt that I needed to, and so I asked the Lord, what should I give? He gave me a number that kind of stuck out that I knew that I couldn't give, and so I was kind of nervous at first, right? And so I stepped out on faith. I walked out in between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service, and I called Amanda because she was coming to the 11 a.m., And I called her and I said, hey, this is what the Lord told me to give, as well as this is what the Lord told me to give for 2021 for the monthly missions giving. And long story short, um, we committed to it. I talked to her and we prayed about it and we committed. And we didn't know where it was going to come from, but we decided to commit. And so after that day, we committed. Just three weeks later, the Lord provided that exact dollar amount in full. Not only did he provide that exact dollar amount, but he times it by three in three weeks. In 2020, we were giving a monthly giving of a certain dollar amount every month. Four weeks later after that committed, committed, commitment, he multiplied that by four and what he told us that I should give that by four every month going forward in every month in 2021. And in four weeks later, he gave me the entire amount for the entire year of 2021. 
finally, yes, thank you, Jesus. And then finally, and, fi- and my last uh, testimony here for Amanda and I, um, since 2019, we have been uh, fighting uh, the insurance with the uh, getting everything straight with the birth of our daughter, Brighton. Um, we were getting bills in the mail, and every single time we knew that that wasn't the right amount because through changing of jobs, um, we just knew that it wasn't right. Sure. And um, after we committed that, and in 2021, we got calls that no more bills. Everything was taken care of. We serve an on-time God. And he's always going to provide for you. If you step out in faith, he will always provide for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 I had an evangelist email me this week during our 48 hours of prayer without any prompting from me. It was on Thursday. He had a dream about our church on Thursday night. We were praying here, and I got it on Friday morning. Let me remind us, God speaks when we pray. Details that I hope to share with you in the near future, but I will share with this with you today. He said, as you, the Calvary Church, step into a greater dimension of giving, of assurity, you will step into a greater level of demonstration. I hold on to the word of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. Third quarter. Second thing we can give that moves us towards being restored is our talent. Again, let me quickly go back to the story in Exodus. Not only did they contribute their treasure, but they contributed talent. After they had brought the free will offering, the scripture records in Exodus 35, verse 30, then Moses said to the people, see, the Lord has called by name Bitzalel, the son of Uri, And he called him, verse 31, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, but he's also filled him with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones. And he, verse 34, tells us about some other people that God anointed and he brought in. Verse 35, he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or embroiderer in blue, purple, scarlet scarlet yarns, fine linen by a weaver, by any sort of workman and skilled designer. And Moses called them together and every craftsman, verse 30, chapter 36, verse 2, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work of God. They came together. Their talent was given. It wasn't just their treasure, but there were people that God began to raise up their skill Their talent was brought before God. What skills and what talent has God given you that God wants to actually use for his kingdom? Some of you have been given amazing talent in leadership, in technology, in banking, in sales and communication, in construction, in administration, in teaching. But maybe you haven't shared or maybe you haven't done it in a limited way in sharing with the people of faith in the church, I want to really challenge you to consider what you are giving your job and your skill and what you are giving to God in the church. I want you to think about that. What is the difference in 
What is the gap between those two things? Are you willing to lend talent and skill and ability? Certainly you're getting paid for it, so that helps, number one. I get that. But what about that skill, that ability, that anointed mind that God's given you? It could be used for God's kingdom. If there's a gap between what you give your job from a skill standpoint and your abilities and what you give the church, I challenge you to consider that. DCC would be an amazing place even more than it is if we had all the contribution of talent in this room today. Don't let's Don't just be content to give treasure some shekels. But I want you to consider giving your talent. I want our ushers to begin to pass out something. Next Sunday is revival service. It's not oatmeal pies. I'm sorry. It's not that great of a Sunday. (laughs) Next Sunday is revival service. Revival, a revival for us. But it's also our annual super team Sunday. And during that service, we're going to ask you to consider giving talent to the Calvary Church. If you would take this catalog and this sign-up card, I want you to consider giving your talent to make ministry possible and make ministry better here at the Calvary Church. Has anybody just ever been frustrated with some ministry experience here at the Calvary Church? Maybe the preaching, we can start there and just move. Right? We, and I, I believe we could be a much better church if we had everybody's collective talent represented on the team. Now, next Sunday, we're not asking you to wear your favorite jersey this year, mainly because the Browns are not in the Super Bowl. But we are going to invite you, maybe we're going to beg you, to join the team. Every ministry team in our church needs help. We have been challenged in incredible ways because of COVID. But I believe we can rise to the occasion to see ministry done stronger and better as everyone. I want you to say everyone. Everyone. Contributes their talent to the team. I want you to take time this week to consider your contribution of talent. Consider what you do for work. Consider what your personality is like. Consider what your hobbies and interests are. Because every team in this church needs help. I want our ministry team leaders to just quickly stand up. If you're here, I won't have you come to the front for sake of time. If you're here, we've got ministry leaders all around us. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Keep standing. All right? There's ministry leaders all around us. And in that book, you'll find the name of ministry leaders. If you don't know who they are... See Teresa Prophet, who mans the, the attendance tracking. She'll point you to them. If you see something on that list like, hey, I, I've got this skill. I've got this ability. I want you to see these ministry leaders. Talk to them about what you can do to contribute. Thank you. I appreciate our ministry team leaders. Let's give them a hand. I think we can be a great church. I do. I think we can be a great church. And here's what I have come to see in 23 years of pastoral ministry. When we give our talent, when we give our talent, it's anti-fragile. 
It's anti-fragile. It connects us to the body and moves us towards spiritual restoration. Because you have a reason to show up at church. I come every Sunday because I have to be here. When you join a ministry team, you kind of need to be there. You start living, though, to bless other people and not just to consume church. And when you begin to bless other people, it fosters growth in you. And you start meeting more people in church when you join a team. And it makes you a stronger believer. So I, I, I ask you, would, would you consider giving your talent to the Calvary Church? Fourth quarter. The third and final thing we can give that moves us towards being fully restored spiritually is our time. Restoration requires your time. You have to give time to the things of God. Coming to church takes time. Praying takes time. Being in a life group takes time. Reading your Bible takes time. Helping somebody in need takes time. Telling somebody about Jesus takes time. Teaching someone a Bible study takes time. Encouraging somebody takes time. Time like electricity, is a commodity. It must be consumed as soon as it is produced, and there is a limited amount of it. But unlike electricity, time does not wait until you're ready, and then it's used. See, electricity is waiting on us. We flip the switch, and boom, it starts producing, and it's used. But time continues to be produced And if it's not used, it's gone, never to be replaced. Psalm 90 gives us the picture of this reality. In verse 10 of chapter 90 of Psalm, the years of our life are 70, and even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and and we fly away. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Restoration is possible today. Some of you gave your time to prayer, fasting, reading the word this week, in this month. Some of you did not. I don't say that to create shame. I just say it to acknowledge the reality of our lives. Here's what I want you to know. Those who gave themselves and are giving themselves to prayer, fasting, reading the word of God, probably feel closer to God in this place this morning. They are not better than anybody else. They are not without trouble or tragedy. However, I would say that their spirit, soul, and body are better connected to the creator. And let me say more soberly, They are better prepared for eternity. Jesus told a sobering parable in Matthew chapter 25. He said, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. 
Then all those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us, for you, and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going out to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Jesus concludes it and says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The early church heard a similar thought when Paul said very simply, Look carefully in Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. I wish I could tell you, you had time to not pray. Or fast. Or read your word or give. And still have enough oil in your lamp to make it. But that would be foolish of me because the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. And I pray again at the close of this month, like I prayed at the beginning of this month for you in the Calvary Church, restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us by your generous spirit. God wants to restore us today. He wants to restore your spirit He wants to restore your soul. Would you stand with me this morning? You can be restored today spiritually. You can find hope. You can find purpose and you can find meaning. Your candle burning with God's Spirit today? Are you invigorated by the power and presence of God or is it waning in your life? Now is the time. Now is the time to see the full measure of God's restoration in our lives. We need God to be active, alive, His Spirit operating in us. And I don't know of any better way than for you to pray, to fast, to read your Bible, and to give. I know of no better way to do those things see the full measure of God's restoration and power in your life. No, it doesn't always make trouble go away and not everything we hope for happens. But I'll tell you what. We sang that song today. We realize that God can restore. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. He goes before us. He walks through uh, with us through a table that spread in the presence of our enemies. Goodness and mercy follow us 
even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. So many things happen. And I'm believing for that, for you and your family in this church. Today, I want to just invite anyone and everyone, again, as you are comfortable, but I want us to step forward as a congregation to say, God, restore us completely. Restore us completely. I don't want to give just a part of me to you. I don't want to conditionally say, God, I'll I'll do this, but you know, I really need to hold on to these things. No, we need a full surrender of the power and presence of God. But I tell you what, it's anti-fragile. When you give, when you give your treasure, when you give your talent, and when you give your time, time, it's going to come back more than you ever thought possible. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.